I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. Welcome to King Cole. All right, welcome back to King and Culture. Uh, Seth, good to see you today. It is good to see me today. Yeah. It's good to see you as well. Do you think that sometimes when you look at yourself in the mirror? It's good to see me. Uh, no. Hi, self. You know, good to see you. Look at that guy. What a good first impression I make of myself. I imagine there's some people that think of themselves that way. It would be called psychopaths. Yeah. No, my, my youth pastor in high school used to say that. Instead of saying, good to see you, he'd say, good to see me. And it was always a joke. And so here you are. Carrying on the tradition. Congratulations. You know? It, Those things you thought you'd never become. Now I'm just a dad making <laughs> yes. stupid dad jokes. Seriously. Well, speaking of stupid things that men are involved in. Speaking of uh, dumb. That kind of gives us our uh, starting point today. We're talking about uh, this pretty strange phrase that pops up in the Bible. Worthless men. Worthless. Worthless men. It's, it's sort of striking when the Bible uses language. You're like, wow, I can't believe God Ooh. would call someone that. Like, what in the world? So... Uh, yeah, so tell us more. Well, I first encountered this phrase in seminary. I had to write a paper on 1 Kings 21, just a story about Naboth's vineyard. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Naboth's vineyard, basically there's this uh, plot of land that God gave to Naboth, and there's this king Ahab, and he marries this woman named Jezebel, who's the worst, and she's conniving, and she hates God. You might have heard of the phrase, a Jezebel spirit. It's like the the woman who leads the person astray. She's the embodiment of why Israel was told not to marry foreign women. Um, not because the foreign women were themselves a problem, but the foreign women don't fear the Lord. Uh, they uh, actually worship false gods. And so God gives this plot of land to Naboth. And then Jezebel tells Ahab, hey, check out that awesome vineyard. You're the king. Go take it from Naboth. And um, Naboth is like, no thanks. God gave this to me. God said, don't like give this land away that I've given to you. And so Jezebel sets up these folks that are called worthless men. It says this in Second First uh, Kings twenty one verse ten, and set. So this is her plot. She's making a plot of how she writes letters in Ahab's name, seals them with his seal. So she's forging a letter from the king, this is the queen forging a letter from the king, and sends, letter, sends letters to these elders and leaders who lived with Naboth's city. And she wrote in the letters that, there's, that we should proclaim a fast and set Naboth's head of the people, uh, but set apart from him, across from him, two worthless men and let them bring a false charge against him and say, he's cursed God and the king. And basically she's setting up a plot to uh, screw Naboth out of his stuff. And that, in that setting is her words. Her words. Worthless she men. says, get these worthless men. Uh, and then uh, later on, in the, the author of Kings refers to these men as worthless men. And the two worthless men sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth. So there's these worthless men. Yeah. And so I had to write a, a Hebrew exegetical paper on this. Well, that's really kind of what we want to do in this conversation is th- this is not some rant against you know masculinity gone wrong as much as it is a, a word study of like, what is this really talking about when it's talking about worthless men? Yeah, so you so my general thought is like when you hit a phrase in Scripture, you're like, worthless men, how does that make sense? Because I have this idea of the image of God. Right. And so I want to like, before we even get into this discussion, say that the biblical category of the image of God of every person is radical and substantial and countercultural, that all human life 
is meaningful and represents God. And we'd say that all human life is valuable, which is the opposite of worthless. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's worthless is by definition, not valuable. And so, right, yeah, there's the whole discussions on which lives matter. Right. But yeah. you know, you go like, I mean, it, it's like, yeah, every human life has value and dignity and worth. And that was foreign to the West until Christianity bled all over it. And uh, before it was landowners were valuable or white people were valuable or men not women were valuable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There were categories of more and less valuable people. And so the doctrine of the image of God is pretty rich and significant. And the idea is that we care about the free exchange of goods and services, the capitalism as like the the open marketplace of democracy as people having a voice that should be counted. Those things all emerge in some sense out of an image of God worldview. The early best parts of feminism that said, hey, women are valuable humans. They're not just property of men. Like those, all of those things are significant all the way down to from the point of conception that every human life matters tremendously. And so we are shocked or we ought to be shocked. We usually like to at least act like we're shocked (laughs) when we see human life being treated as worthless. Yeah. Well, and as I hear... You just recount that story. I go well, but is that just is that just the perspective of some awful Jezebel spirit? Right? Like, is that actually a, a biblical category we can embrace? Like, it's a, it's okay that they're being called that, or is that like, well, you know, of course, this pagan sorcery lady is gonna yeah. see that some people are worthless. She's not bought into the idea of the image of God, and or is this like actually, you know, like is it is it a pagan category that she's bringing into the scripture and the scripture is kind of just rolling with yeah or is it actually like a this is of god category yeah and that's what was surprised me when i did a deep dive on this so we could even call this episode a category of episodes we might have in the future called bible word study episodes right and we deep dive on it but this was like frankly jostled by my mind um before we record we started recording this morning i was reading more of the news outlets on what's going on in the Middle East yeah. and talking about the, the slaughter of young children all the way down to infants. Yeah. And you go, are you nuts? Right. Are like, are you shocked? And then simultaneously hearing like just the different accounts and the responses and like, frankly being hot with anger at the disregard for human life yeah. being, being, hot with anger at the uh also like smug explaining away of well these people had to do this because complicated situations that actually like diminish the agency and capacity for morality of individuals like people have tremendous ability to resist the system and situation in which they're brought up and this idea of uh bound to happen deterministic well, they're raised in the situation, therefore they had to do this evil, moral, immoral thing to make the best of their... Like, it's total nonsense to me. And so it, it the idea of worthless men who uh, treat other men as worthless... Yeah, and, and sure. The, uh, it jostled my memory of this, this deal. So hmm. I'd love to do like a, a survey of the biblical data on this word and okay. how it gets used. Okay. And then also... Um, Maybe ask like, so what for our church and how do we think about it? Yeah, because that sounds good. One of, one of the things that makes me nervous about talking about this is one, that people who have like really low self-esteem hmm. or really high shame or tons of like regret in their life 
who are already prone to self-hatred yeah. might take this and apply it to themselves. Mm. And I do not want that to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I know that probably more than haughtiness in our church, there's generally a spirit of like self-loathing mm. that I grieve and I don't want to throw gasoline onto. And so ahead of time, if that's you and you think, man, this this podcast might just make me hate myself more. Uh, go ahead and just stop listening. That's totally fine. You don't need it. But I'm not talking about you. Like it, and I hope it'll become clear that the the folks that the scriptures are talking about in this worthless sense are, are not repentant sinners. So, so that's what you don't want. I don't want. And, and, and we'll talk about how this applies, but what do you want? Well, first, is so there anything I, else I've, you don't I've, want? One other thing I don't want okay. is I don't want uh, people who are maybe on the other side of the spectrum prone to thinking they're awesome to just develop a hard heart towards people who are unrepentant in their sin. Yeah, like everyone is worthless, except yeah. me, yeah, the people I like, if, and the people I agree with. If you're prone to just thinking people are worthless, and this is going <laughs> to uh, maybe unfortunate. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, everyone stinks besides me. Right. If, if you're prone to that, maybe go ahead and stop listening as well, because this might help you think that more, unfortunately. Yeah, also repent. But what I do want is sometimes I think our doctrine of the image of God makes it such that we are too slow to call what is truly evil, truly evil. And people who have devoted themselves to true evil were too slow to call them evil. Well, and I, that, that's really interesting because I, I think you can't help, I mean, I, I think it's irrefutable that the emphasis in our secular culture on equality and on that sort of stuff all flows out of Christendom, right? It's all a post-Christian, it's all borrowed from Christianity, right? Like the image of God being part of Western culture comes from Christianity. It's now in the mix, right? Like, of course people are equal. Of course people have dignity. Of course people have worth. But there's also such a downgrade of morality, a downgrade of evil. There's all, it's mixed with this, you know, subjective relativism. And so I think we can buy into that. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes, especially like in the Reformed tradition, where there's like this idea of total depravity, that all people are sinners and all people require God's grace and all people are depraved and all people deserve hell, that we so uh, equivocate or with a leveling playing field, like which is, there's a sense in which all true is, all sin is, sorry, there's a true sense in which all sin is equally damnable. Yeah. But... There's a biblical cat. There's such a biblical category as evil men. Yeah, like the way we've said it before is that, you know, ev- not everyone is as bad as they could be, but they are as bad off as they could be. Yeah. So, just, but you, but just people because, could be worse, and there are worse people. Yeah. Just because we all equally deserve hell does not mean we're all equally evil. And so, like, I think yeah. about like I just want to like, can we say this without feeling like we're contradicting our theology? This is Psalm forty. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Is that a different word? It's a different word. Yeah. But that's, I think, a similar category. Yeah. Like, can I pray that? Because I know some Christians are like, well, but I'm evil too. And I also sin. Yeah, sure. And I, you know, don't call them evil. That's that's smug. That's self-righteous. That's holier than thou. That is, you know, um, whereas I don't think David felt tension about that when he prayed that in Psalm 40. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. And so there is such a category of evil people that is not necessarily universally applicable to sinners who haven't repented in Jesus. Yeah. 
So it's not fair to it's fair to call all people sinners who need God's mercy. It's not fair to call all people evil, which I think is important uh, for us to see that dis- distinction in the midst of our universal belief in original sin. So now let's jump into the word. Okay. So I first look up the word. The word is Belial okay. in Hebrew, Belial, which Paul uses a couple of times in the New Testament, uh, talking about like uh, demons, like they're, they're Belial. No, so, uh, but in Hebrew, it actually appears uh, twenty-seven times. Okay, and every time it's referring to a person. Okay, not like worthless currency or that worthless trailer <laughs> or that worthless piece of land. It's uh, generally referring to people, and uh, some of the more, uh, uh, the majority of those appear in first in, in Samuel and Kings, first Second Samuel, first Second Kings. Uh, I want to just read a handful of those so you get a feel for it. Um, I will not set before my eyes anyone who is worthless. Oh, that's Psalm 101. Sorry, I did the opposite of what I said I was going to do. First <laughs> um, so, Samuel 30. All the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they didn't go with us, we won't go with them. It's basically describing people in Israel who aren't actually committed to the Lord's work or the Lord's way, and they're kind of fair-weather uh, uh, cowards, so to speak. They're just in a crowd. Um, then in 1 Samuel 25, let, the Lord, let my Lord not regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his name is so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So it's describing some particular guy who's a worthless fellow. Fellow <laughs> seems to kind of soften it there a little bit. Yeah. Um, hey, fellow. Um, <laughs> then the First Kings 21 story, it appears three, four times. Uh, but then like some of them in a more concrete sense or like in a more uh, general sense is Proverbs. So it shows up three times in Proverbs, Proverbs six twelve, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech. Hmm. So that's describing like the liar. Okay. Um, but even crooked speech there isn't necessarily just lying, but it's like deceptive, yeah. manipulative. Yeah. We, we would, I mean, we have an expression like that, bending the truth. Yeah, bending right, the it's, truth. It's crookeding yeah. the truth. Yeah, it's like hot air yeah. or like a less Christian-y term would be yeah, it's, BS. It's spin. Yeah. Right, it's a, there's a curve on it. There's a crookedness to it. There's a, it's spinning. Yeah, so it's not just outright lying like a child might do, but it's controlling. Yeah. It's manipulative speech. So a worthless person. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty seven. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like scorching fire. So again, the speech here is tied in. Also, a plotter of evil speech is like scorching fire. They're destroyers. Uh, so like a scorching fire, it takes something that was existing and reduces it. So they're destru- It's destructive. Uh, Proverbs nineteen twenty eight. A worthless witness mocks at justice. Now that's the sense in which we get in First Samuel or 1 Kings 21, that they're bearing false witness. They're making a mockery of justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So they're eating up, so this is kind of like a gospel, like they're eating up iniquity, hmm. uh, take, and, but then they're mocking the justice uh, process. So it's uh, bearing false witness, it's that type of thing. Uh, these, this idea of like value versus valueless is part of it. And so 
there's a destructive nature here. And so I have these two Hebrew lexicons that I think are really important when, uh, when we look at it. Uh, and so one is called the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. It's okay. called Hallett. The other one is called BDB, Brown Driver Briggs. And a and lexicon is essentially a dictionary with more description of the range of the way a word might be used. Yeah. So these, whenever I'm trying to deep dive on uh, Old Testament words, uh, BDB and Hallett are the universally, or at least Hallett is now the universally accepted like best resource to go to. And so they are dictionaries of uh, Hebrew words that are pretty good. So uh, especially like it helps you understand some of like the range and background. And uh, so like I'll, I'll talk about in BDB. So when you think about words, there's like the concrete sense, like where it comes from. Uh, and then there's like the, the metaphorical sense, like the, how it's describing people. So for example, like the word dominion, this is a pretty a good example, is uh, if you think about the word dominion appears when it's describing someone crushing grapes with their feet. So that's a concrete sense. It's like uh, it's you applied pressure that's smushing something. Mm-hmm. So they're having dominion on the grapes. That's right. crushing with your feet. But dominion can also be applied in a medical foral sense, which is like the rule of a king over an area. Yeah. So productive force on the grapes, but also productive force of a king. One of those is more metaphorical. One of those is more concrete. So we see some of this with Belial, worthless men. Like it's in First Samuel 1.16, uh, there's a drunken woman, and she's described as worthless, meaning not her whole person is worthless, but while she's drunk, she doesn't add any value to the situation. Yeah. Like, we should not trust her words. Mm-hmm. Right now, she's not adding anything to this situation. Therefore, she's, like, not contributing. To not contribute is to be uh, worthless. So it's a non-contributor. Okay. Is like the most basic understanding of this. Thinking about like value add, like even the term blessing uh, in scripture, like tends to be like someone who's adding meaning to the word. God blesses, he adds life. We bless to be a blessing, we're adding. Uh, whereas cursing is subtracting. And so it's similar here that the word blessing uh, or the word worthless is connected to the word cursing. It's subtracting. At a minimum, it's not adding. So God makes us who we are, we're personally worth of worthwhile. But then if you never add any value or never like leverage your value for the good of the world, you're just literally not adding value. So that makes you not valuable, makes you worthless is like the concrete there. Um, elsewhere, you see this idea of um, ruin or destruction. So again, this is a con- connected to the concept of curse, withdrawal, taking away the fire, the destruction, uh, the destroying. Um, or it's like can also be connected to, uh, hold on one second, the concept of uh, adding trouble, okay. like the root, like Belial, Bella is like trouble. Uh, so someone who's causing problems and who's stirring up issues. And so, again, instead of adding value, you're adding negative value. Yeah, you're adding chaos. Yeah, you're a negative contributor. It's right. You're a culture destroyer, not a culture uh, enhancer. Uh, it's like adding onions to your salad. It just makes it worse. <laughs> you know, it's so that's, uh, that's yeah, obviously I don't know. debatable. Yeah. Um, it's like adding tomatoes to your cheeseburger. It makes it worse. So it's uh, also debatable. Also debatable. Yeah. 
It's like adding vegetables to your meal. Just quit trying, (laughs) okay? We get it. (laughs) They're worthless. Keep them out of there. Um, So yeah, but but even that, I I feel like that's where I mean, based on the ways you were reading all that earlier, it it isn't quite that. And I know you know this, but it's not quite that trivial, right? Like it's not like, eh, yeah, I don't I don't find any value in it. It's like no, these people are objectively evil. Yes. Right. They're twisting. They're planning evil. They're manipulating. They're lying. They're deceiving. They're totally fine. I mean, I think about those guys with Jezebel. Like, she's going, let's get some guys that have no character and we'll get them in here and they'll just say whatever we want. Like, we, we need you to lie. Okay, deal. They're, yeah. It's not, it's not like, uh, you know, well, let, let's get some people that I just, I don't think they add much to this yeah. situation. It's like, no, these are people who are like destructive and worthless. Yeah. And so I think that's where the like, the concrete sense of the word then develops into the broader sense of the world. Okay. Like if you go, everybody can understand and get on board with the concrete sense that there are some people who aren't adding to the situation. Okay. You know, you have like the, the person in the group who just is like quiet the whole time. Mm-hmm. So they're not adding and they're not taking away. Right. They're just, they're not doing much. Yeah. So that'd be a neutral person. Then you have like, maybe a different person in a workplace or an environment or in a team or whatever it is who like turns the ball over and scores on their own goal, you know, and you go, it'd actually be a lot better for us if that guy was not on our team. You know, if he was playing for the other team, we'd be happy. Right. Addition by subtraction. Yeah. That, that concept. And you go, so there's a sense in which that person is not valuable. And so it's interesting even how like the word that guy's not that valuable to the team is saying the same thing, but feels less stingy than he's worthless. Sure. <laughs> you know, but, but so, so it's like kind of step one in understanding the word is that we have categories for this. Okay. Um, uh, in situations, context, environments, people add, people don't add. Some of people I know, like their biggest fear is to be someone who's not adding to the group. You know, if my skills and talents aren't being leveraged here, I'd like to go somewhere else and leverage them. And so there's, there's that sense. But what I'm saying is I think this Biblical categories are building on that concept and going a step further that there are people whose entire existence on earth is marked by subtracting. Not even just subtracting in small ways, like they scored a goal on the wrong team, but subtracting uh, by like making the flourishing of other humans effectively non-possible. Yeah. Like they're destroyers. They are um, puppets of the enemy. That in Paul's thought, that these worthless men are uh, carried along by de- the demons, mm. the, the powers, the yeah. principalities, that they're actually marked by allegiance to uh, Belial. And so this this category of person, a worthless person, a wicked man, a manipulator who plots evil, who mocks justice, who's has like no real moral code inside of himself, who can slaughter women and children and parade their bodies through the street and spit on them. And like, this is a type of person that is truly evil. And when you're interacting with a category of person who's truly evil in like the biblical sense, it's, it's not right for us based on our doctrine, of the image of God or based on our doctrine of total depravity, and universal sin to minimize that category of evil. Or yeah, we, we need the moral clarity to be able to say, this is truly evil. This is truly worthless. Yeah. And I know that I went through like a certain, like when I was recently discovering like the doctrines of grace and like recently 
in a, in a way like coming to terms with the depths and severity of my own sin that I was uh, really slow. Like I remember when 9-11 happened um, and in the years to come, like I was really tempted to say, like, yeah, but I'm a sinner too, just like Osama bin Laden. Right. You know, and who am I to say I'm better than him? Who am I to say, you know, and I think what I should have been saying if at, as I've matured theologically, I can say I deserve hell just like he does. But he is capital T, capital E, true evil, and I'm depraved sinner. I'm not out there mass murdering and plotting evil and destroying people. And I don't think that is self-righteousness. I think that is sober weighing of the, the damage that different sin does. I think the phrase that we've used at times is that all sin is equally damaging, or not all, all sin is equally damning, but all sin is certainly not all equally damaging. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about like value, in especially like the scale system. Like when we think about money now, we think about like numbers on our bank account, you know, like, and how many commas, how many, like there's always as like, so it's like, it's sideways mm-hmm. that if you're really rich, your wealth is really long. You know, like if I talk <laughs> yeah. to someone, I'm like, he's really wealthy, like eight figures wealthy. Like, oh wow, that's a lot of figures. You know, yeah. it's horizontal. <laughs> sure. um, or if you think about like seven's bigger than six is bigger than five is bigger than, so it's all like abstract. It's uh, our, so our concept of numbers affects the way that we think about these things. But we think about money in the olden days, it was on a scale hmm. and it was weighed. Yeah. Uh, and so you have this side weighing and this side weighing. And there's like this balancing scale, so mm-hmm. to speak. And uh, the worthless people are weighing their scale. In, like, so if you think about value add, value subtract. Yeah. They thought about this in terms of weight, not in terms of like length hmm. or great. So yeah. there's this weighing of the amount of evil you do, and the scale gets heavier and heavier and heavier, eventually to the point where it's so heavy on one side that no value you add on the other side can even move the scale. It's hmm. like you you put like 50 bricks of gold on one side and a handful of pennies on the other side, and the scale doesn't even notice. Right. Because you've so weighed the scale on subtracting value to society that you have no conscience, you've basically seared your conscience, and you go about just uh, being a destroyer of persons and things. Well, and the point here I don't think is probably to compare yourself to Osama bin Laden and feel better about yourself. But the point is to be able to have moral clarity about danger and about evil. If you're going to actually be able to protect uh, non-evil people from evil people, you have to be able to tell that they're evil people. <laughs> like you have to be able to go, hey, um, honey, uh, I don't think we should spend time with that person anymore. They are destructive. They're a destroyer. They're a worthless man. Uh, we can pray for them and we'll talk about how to do that. But but uh, we don't need to try to be around them because they're evil and they're going to do us harm and we're going to protect ourselves from that. Yeah, and, and this is exactly what I think Paul is getting at. We've talked about like being yoked with unbelievers and I think if you grew up in the church, you probably heard about that as like mostly a lesson about don't marry a non-Christian, which probably is somewhat what Paul has in view here, but it's probably a lot more broad than that. So in 2 Corinthians six fourteen and following, he says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's the word. Mm. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I'll make you dwelling among them and walk with them. So I think in Paul's language here, you know, Paul knew Hebrew a notch or two better than me, you know. (laughs) Uh, But so I think he's pulling on like, look at what happened to Ahab and Jezebel. Yeah. Ahab got yoked with an unbeliever, Jezebel, and Jezebel surrounded herself with Belial, these worthless people with no conscience, no moral clarity, no sense of fear of God. And look what happened. And so like, do you see what happens when this oil and water thing tries to mix? Do you see, like, it goes bad for the people of God, that people get oppressed, people are harmed, God is betrayed. And this idea that we have so often as Christians even is this, this belief that I can, I am not affected by the people who are around me. Like elsewhere, Paul says, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. And I would like to think of myself as non-corruptible. Sure. No, I'm, I'm resolute. I'm above the fray. Yeah, I'm resolute. I'm resolved. I'm committed to Christ. Sure. I fear the Lord. And all those things are true. And Paul is telling me, uh, when you get yoked with non-believers, when you attach, like the, the oxen yoke is the picture here, like two oxen pulling a sled that one thing over my neck, one thing over their neck, and we pull, that you're pulling, that like the definition of a meaningful life that a Christian has is absolutely different than definition of meaningful life that someone who does not love God has. And so this is what's going on with Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab really wants to think the definition of good life is honoring the Lord and stewarding what he's given the best of his ability. Jezebel thinks the definition of good life is to acquire property and luxury by any means necessary. And so they're different visions of life. And so the willingness to leverage people to get what you want is also the mark of um, being yoked up with Belial. And so it's both like the, so the prescription here from Paul is be mindful that there are people who have radically diverging worldviews than you, who want a totally different thing out of life than you do, and recognize that the closer you are with them, the more likely you are to be swept up by them into a different way of thinking. Mm, sure. That in our workplaces and in our business contracts and in our friendships and in our schools and in our sports leagues, uh, we are vulnerable yeah. to being led astray by people who have really hardened their heart to the things of God. And if and if we it's one thing to interact with and I think here's the category is there should be three categories of people in our mind um, in the scriptures. There are worthless, evil people who truly hate God and want nothing to do with his way. And I think they're not adding value to God's good creation on the base of how he defines value. Mm-hmm. There's another category of repentant sinners who are trying to follow Lord Jesus. And I think there's actually a third category of sinners who are not necessarily hating God. They deserve hell like everybody else. Uh, but that's actually like not their life's purpose to corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest category of people on earth. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think those folks could also lead us astray. Um, and I think that where Paul says, Paul doesn't say don't be unequally yoked with Belial. Uh, but I think he's saying don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And so I think we should be able to soberly assess, are there people who like, are okay with just living immoral, irrational lives. And and so that's where I think like the the trigger for me on this was like the Hamas stuff in the Middle East. Yeah. And, you know, it's like 
should we go try and tell them about the four spiritual laws and evangelize them? You know, and it's like, that'd be actually really dumb. One, because I don't speak their language. Um, <laughs> um, but also, two, it, it's actually non-safe. Hmm. It is dangerous. And like, the general instruction here is to avoid and keep safe from. It's like the wolf who comes into the church. Hmm. You don't try to evangelize the wolf. You get the wolf out. You get the wolf out. Yeah. You don't give the wolf a haircut. You don't try to convince the wolf to become a sheep. You identify the wolf. And you get the wolf out. And I think sometimes because of our own sense of our sin, which is good and right, we're too slow to label wolves wolves, to label uh, Belial folks Belial folks, to label evil people evil, and to recognize that I don't want to bring these people into my home. I don't want to bring these people into the church because the main mode of operational uh, connection there is protection of God's people, not the conversion or evangelization of the not God's people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, that's, there's a lot to chew on there. I mean, one is, uh, it does seem like we should still pray for these folks, right? Like when Jesus said, pray for your enemies, Yes. pray for those who persecute you, presumably, uh, enemies and persecutors of the church, at least a good number of them are going to be in that belly out category. Yeah. This requires being able to label people enemies. Yeah. I have a hard time labeling anyone enemy because it feels yucky yeah, to me. Sure, I don't want to call anyone worthless or evil or enemy because that makes me. I've I in my mind or I in my guts feel like that makes me think I'm self righteous. Yeah, sure. And that's part of what I'm trying to work through on this yeah. is like, no, that's biblical sober language, yep. and I need to pray for them. I need yeah. to go to God on their behalf. I want to pray for their repentance or their destruction, ideally. One or the other. Like, well, and that's what I was going to ask because, like, you know, I mean, uh, you mentioned Psalm 40. I mean, there's lots of psalms that are, you know, what would be called imprecatory psalms, right? It's praying for the destruction of somebody. You know, yeah. I remember the pastor when I was a, you know, new believer and, and I was in high school and he would say, you know, a lot of times people, like, they hurt you and you, you want to pray, like, Lord, blind them. <laughs> you know, he wasn't saying to actually do that. But, but you do have an example in the scripture of, like, it's, there's some pretty gnarly, there's some pretty gnarly imprecatory psalms that are like, hey, Lord, crush these people, destroy these people, destroy these people's children, right? There's there's that. So that's one option of how to pray for worthless people. The other option might be, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Yeah. Both are in the Bible. How do we think about that? How do we pray for these folks? Well, I think the nice thing about praying is you can pray longer than one sentence at a time. <laughs> so I, I feel like as I've been trying to pray, even for the Hamas stuff, it's, you know, blot them out from the land of the living. That's Psalm 69. Uh, it's, you know, dash their little ones against the rocks, which I think Psalm 137 is talking about, like let their future kings not be raised up. Yeah, I don't think it's saying Lord kill their infants. I think it's saying like the little ones there in ancient Near East to me operates as like the future kings kings so like let their let the future leaders not become leaders so cut off their leaders and their future leaders is i think what that's saying there and the willingness to recognize that it'd be good for the world Hmm. if these people were cut cut off yeah like it it and again like on not to make small of this but the coach who doesn't cut any players does harm to the team Right and and God has promised to uproot the evil from the land of the living. 
and take them away into judgment. And so when you're praying, like, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, there are no evil ones in heaven. That's part of what you're praying for, yeah, is that God sure. would uproot the unrighteous. And yep. so those, like the, the Lord's prayer is an imprecatory prayer. God, come, get rid of the evil ones. Like you're praying for judgment and destruction, and yep. that's, that's sobering. And at the same time, you pray, God, what you did with Paul, you can do again. Paul was a worthless man yeah, who was persecuting the church of God, destroying and killing people. Plotting evil. Plotting, justifying, yeah. rationalizing, executing, overseeing. Terrorizing. Terrorizing. He's a terrorist. Paul was a Middle Eastern terrorist, killing Jews. Yep. So Paul was Hamas. Like in, I don't know if he was dragging naked bodies through the streets. So, but like the details, I don't know, but there's a reality. But he was standing by and he was overseeing, execution. holding the coats while yeah. Stephen was being killed. Yeah. If he had an iPhone, he would have live streamed it. You know, like that's the, the depth of, cause he thought what he was doing. He thought he was serving God. Yep. So he was a religious terrorist, you know? And so, and God knocked him off his horse and he repented and ended up doing tremendous good with his life. And so I want to have space for both those things. That is truly evil. And it will be honoring and, like, I will be okay with the fact that God might uproot them from that of living. And at the same time, God, what you did with Paul, you can do again. Please yep. do it. I want to see it. Like, I would be overjoyed to see Hamas either repentant and giving glory to the Lord in heaven yep. or destroyed. And I yep. think I think I th- having space for both of those things is how I want to pray. And I think that I feel guilty and yucky and icky about praying for one of those things, mm. despite it being a legitimate biblical category of prayer, despite the category of worthless men being a legitimate biblical category, despite evil people being a legitimate biblical category. And so I think part of what I'm even saying in this is I want to pray congruently with the scriptures, yeah. and that includes broadening my prayer to include imprecatory prayers for the worthless people mm. who plot evil. And it involves praying that they would be converted and be like Paul. Yeah. And so I think the answer is to pray more and broader, not mm. pray mm. less and more narrow. Yeah. Well, part of what I love about this podcast and the opportunity of this is it is an opportunity to go a little bit deeper into the deeper end of the theological and biblical pool to spend some time reflecting on those things. So thanks for, uh, thanks for taking us there. And um, yeah, giving, giving us some new ways to pray. And, and that's part of what I love too, is that you know deep discussions about theology aren't for the sake of deep discussions about theology, but they're so that we become more godly, so that we spend more time with the Lord and uh, have some guidance on how to do that. So thanks, man. Absolutely. And I, I hope that we understand that the better our theology, the richer our prayers, not just the sharper our heads, because yeah. theology is not autopsy on hypothetical person, but we're trying to know God. And the scriptures help us do that better than anything else. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want to um, I want to close with the Lord's prayer. So, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We give you glory and honor and praise and pray that your name would be high and lifted up in the world. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you crush your enemies uh, or forgive them? And would you bring the reign of Christ by the Spirit into the world? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Provide what we need. Um, Satisfy our hearts. uh, Be enough for us. 
God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, uh, give us compassion for those who sin against us, uh, the ability to forgive them. And uh, God, forgive us our many sins. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Protect us, God, from becoming Belial. Protect us from walking in the paths of crookedness and of lies and of evil and of wickedness and of destruction. And uh, God, we pray that uh, you would deliver us from that. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.